Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. I'm hot sitting down here. Had to rub the perspiration off my forehead. She said, the fan's not on. I said, don't you worry. Jack will take care of it. <laughs> anyway, thank you for turning the fan on. Y'all may have not noticed. Jacqueline doesn't like the fan on, but I do. And so we, we have a compromise. Join me in, uh, I know it says First Timothy, but I was, we were singing this song. I was captured by the thought that his goodness is coming after me. His goodness is running after me. And I, I want to, do you think that's scriptural? Yeah? Look at Luke 15 for just a second. If you ever thought that God's goodness is not chasing after you every single day of your life, let this be an encouragement to you. This is the parable of the lost things in Luke chapter 15. And and Jesus gives the example of of three things that are lost. And and we, we want to limit to three. But if you look, it's all about lost things. There's a, a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, there's a lost son, there's a lost manager, there's a lost man, not Lazarus, but the rich man. There's more than one lostness there, sometimes we're going to stop at the three, but we will, for the sake of today, just look at the three. There was a lost sheep, the shepherd had 99 and one went missing and he went running after the one. There was a lost coin and it meant a lot to that lady. And that lady tore her house apart and said that she went looking for that one lost coin. And then the story of the lost son, where the dad sat up day and night watching for his son to pop up over the horizon, coming back home. Just saw Ray back there. Good to see you, Ray. You know, God does come running after us every day of our life. And I'm grateful for that. TJ came and had prayer with me today. And he said, you know, I wasn't a church girl growing up. He said, Jesus came and snatched me up before our prayer time. And Jesus does that. He comes running after us just to snatch us up out of the mess that we find ourselves in sometimes. Join me in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, page 960 there in your pew Bible. Almost finished this series. Been a good one so far. This is our seventh sermon in this series and got just a couple more after today. But today we're thinking about discovering life and living as servants. And and I, and I really don't want to kind of mix this up. And you know, I really want to help you understand that as a member of South Jefferson, well, first, as a member of the family of God through your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and then as a family, a member of this family, this bride of Christ, this local New Testament church, the South Jefferson Baptist Church, you're called to ministry. All of us are. And there are as many types of Christian ministry, really, as there are needs in the world. Uh, Arlie Despain, and I've told the story before, he uh, was a, a lost person at, when we served in Hodgeville, Kentucky, and, and uh, I preached his brother-in-law's funeral. And, after, and Arlie Despain was known as a difficult man, even a mean man. He worked for the telephone company, and he was a big man. He looked kind of like Mr. Clean. His head was shaved bald, and he was just a big, burly man. And he's the kind of guy, if he was to punch you, it would probably just go right straight through your face and out the other side. I mean, he would just... That kind of man. Well, he, he, and occasionally he would get angry at me. 
because his wife would be caught in church a little later than he thought she should be, and he's sitting out in the parking lot, and he didn't like it. And so occasionally he would say unkind things to me. Not real bad, just little kind of smart-alecky remarks. Well, he called me after his brother's, brother-in-law's funeral and said, I need you to get over here. Now, I thought I was going to lose my life. I really thought that he was calling me over there to beat him up and and I picked up the hammer that I had and stuck it in my pants and picked up the knife that I had and put the baseball bat in the back. No, I didn't do all that. But I did get in my car and I drove over to his house and he had the, a real long gravel driveway. As soon as I pulled in the driveway, he came running out of his garage, running straight towards my car. And I just barely got all four wheels onto his drive. And also I slowed down when I saw him running at me because I thought, oh Lord. And I started confessing my sins you know, because I thought I was going to die that day. And so he came running out, and I mean, he's like a big old bull. And he was running right straight towards my car, his head leaning forward and everything. And right as he got to my car, I was driving a Ford Taurus. He dropped to his knees, and he slid in that gravel, and he fell face down in that gravel. And he said, i got to get saved today. And Arlie did. He confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And, but Arlie did something. He said, I haven't, he's, he'd never been in church other than his wedding. He said, I want to start a ministry, and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, Arlie, what are you good at? He said, I'm good at fixing. And we kind of talked through it, and he got a good dose of Jesus, I'll tell you. It, it changed him from the inside out. He, he quit so many different things all at once that it's wanted to kill him, just quitting all the things that he quit. But he understood that his call into our church and into God's family meant that he needed to serve in some capacity. And so there was a funeral home there in town called Bennett and Bertram. And he called Bennett and Bertram Funeral Home. And he said, guys, I, I'd like to start a ministry. And I'm going to detail every person's car who loses a loved one. And up until recently, he, he's kind of in bad health now. That's been his ministry since around 2000, 2002, that he has detailed cars for loved ones so that their car would be clean for free. He'd go get the car, bring it home, detail it, take it back to him. There are as many different kinds of Christian service as there are needs in the world. Ms. Steffi and I were serving at First Baptist Mount Washington. There was a gentleman that owned uh, or was the manager of uh, the, the auto parts store there. And he felt a, a call to minister to people after he came to Christ and didn't know what to do. And so he started what was called car care days. And we modeled that here at our church a couple of years, and he would give all change to all changes to widows and senior, and senior widows, senior ladies, and mothers uh, of children with no father in the home. He would do minor car repairs because he owned this car parts place, up to six hundred dollars per car, and he got to where he would do as many as fifty cars. He was paying for all of this out of his the reservoirs of his reserves of his business. But that was his ministry. Sometimes we think about ministry, it's always deacons or trustees or Sunday school teachers. Or, but we, we forget that there's a lot of ministry that happens within a church and without a church that's all driven by our relationship with Jesus Christ. Some service happens within the walls of this church, and I'm grateful for the service that we do to members. We do a lot of member ministry, and I'm grateful for that. And, 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 but most of our ministry, or at least what drives us, is ministry for people that's far from God. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that we understand that, that the Bible, it gives specific examples of Christian service. 
but it doesn't give an exhaustive list. It's just to kind of get us started, just to get the ball rolling down the hill, and then we take and we, we finish it out. But in this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 18, page 960 there in your pew Bible, Paul makes it pretty clear in his charge to Timothy about what some aspects of Christian ministry should look like. So join me in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> he says, Timothy, I'm giving you this command. Ah, we don't like that word. I don't want anybody commanding me to do anything. I know you don't either. We don't like being commanded. We have a natural instinct when somebody says, you have to do it. We automatically start thinking, no, I don't. I remember when uh, Jessica was younger and we needed to discipline her and I was getting pretty firm with her. And one day she turned around and looked at me and said, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> I thought, well, you're just fixing to find out who's the boss of you. <laughs> I wasn't the boss of her. But, well, I am. But we understand. We, we don't like being commanded. But we have to understand this is the gospel. And God's helping us understand that sometimes there are requirements to Christian faith. And this is a requirement for Christian faith. Paul says to Timothy, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the promises once made about you, so that by, calling, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. I thought he was talking about ministry. He just said a war word. He said, fight the battle well. He's talking about a guy that pastors the church in Ephesus. He's talking about fighting wars in the realm of church life. He says, or continues verse 19, that you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith with a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. And then Paul names two people who suffered a shipwreck in their faith. He said, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Alexander's the coppersmith. Wouldn't you hate for your name to be written in scripture as a shipwreck? These two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they're in scripture as examples of a Christian who has shipwrecked. That would be a terrible way to be introduced in the Bible. But he says, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. That's a pretty strong way to mention someone in Scripture. Now, if you think about the church in America today, today Christianity has really become much of a spectator sport. It's just people coming in, watching, watching paid performers come in and do what paid performers are paid to do, and then they, they leave for the day. And then we go on Sunday, we sit and watch people on a platform perform and do what they do. I mean, after all, that's what they're paid to do. And so we come in the door, we put money in the plate, and then that pays them to come up here and do and to perform for us. But me, we think, I'm just a layperson. Now, in the New Testament, every believer in Jesus Christ is a minister. Every person is a minister and a priest before God. And, and that means that every minister in Jesus Christ is to be working and to be serving as a layperson. 
Every believer is to be a functioning member of the body of Christ with a God-given ministry to fulfill. In other words, every member of the local New Testament church is supposed to be a lay person. Now, that'd be you. Now, I'm not accusing you of not being a lay person. And so if you feel some kind of finger pointing here, I'm not doing that. I'm just telling you what Scripture is teaching us. That every believer is intended to be a serving, ministering, working lay person. We are not supposed to just walk in, view a performance, and then walk out unchanged. That's not what the Christian life's about. That's not what church life is about. That's not what worship is about. That's not what being family's about. Being family is about working together. Normally on Sunday morning, Stephanie uh, fixes my breakfast and takes care of me and pampers me because she, she knows I'm coming in here and so I'm trying to get my thoughts together and get my prayer life together and get my sins all confessed because this is holy ground and you're holy people and I don't want to come up here dirty, spiritually speaking. Well, this morning things got kind of cattywampus at our house and so she didn't fix breakfast. I fixed breakfast. She wanted boiled eggs. I wanted cereal. I fixed the breakfast, I got everything out on the table, I got our vitamins out and got her, I cooked the boiled egg, I peeled the egg, put it back in the hot water so that when she would jump out of the shower, we could just jump to the table. And so, but when, I, when she said, I'm ready to eat if you are, I was in the office. And I thought, you know, we were a good team today. I didn't tell her that, but in my mind I was thinking, we were a good team. We, we switched things up today and we're still getting to church ahead of time. That's family at my house. But that's how family ought to function here. We're family. When I can't pick it up, you do. When you can't pick it up, somebody else will. But the idea of being a lay person in the New Testament church is that there's no sitters. There's no consumers. That we're all doing something to enhance the family. Now granted, as the older we get or the, the more feeble we become, the things that we can physically do get smaller. But the, your spiritual strength never wanes. Now it doesn't matter how old you are, your prayers are as effective as a young person as they are an old person. We can all send letters or write a card or shoot a text or send an email. I mean, we can still be plugged in and actively involved in ministry at every age of our life and at every stage of our life. Now, Christ expects every member to serve in their local church. And honestly, across our country, that's not a popular idea today. Most places, and TJ and I talked about it this morning, most people that want to go to church, they want to go, experience a performance, feel some kind of emotional movement in their heart, and then go home and say, check, got my worship in for the week. But not actually do ministry. Most expect to come to worship on a Sunday or Wednesday and be entertained by people who are paid to entertain. Like me and Jacqueline. And, I mean, we're paid to entertain. When we were coming out here, I told TJ, I said, well, this is the only day of the week I work. Because that's a perception. That Jacqueline only works on Sunday. And Richard only works on Sunday. But that's not true. It's not true for you. And it certainly should not be true for our, our church. And, and I stress this because Christians have been misled. If someone knew where to come to our church and say, and ask you, who's our minister? 
you would almost instinctively say, oh, Richard Carver is our minister. But you know, that really shouldn't be the reply. If we had a new person come to our church and inquire from you, who's the minister? Our response, a better response would be, well, which one did you meet? Because all of us in this room are ministers. Now granted, if someone was to ask you, who is, uh, who is it that, you, that South Jefferson supports so that he might devote full time to teaching and Bible preaching and shepherding the flock? Well, that answer would be Richard Carver. But Richard Carver is not the only minister. I'm the only pastor. But there's a hundred or more ministers here, if you count all of us, or at least there should be. So this morning, I want to challenge us to discover real life from the working perspective. You know, there's no white-collar Christians. We're all working class. Every Christian is blue-collar. At least they ought to be. There's no such thing as a professional Christian. It doesn't happen. We're all workers. We've all got dirty fingernails and broken fingernails and skinned up knees and rubbed elbows because we get down to the nitty-gritty. So Paul left Timothy in Ephesus initially to confront some of the false teachers. Now, honestly, for Timothy, that was a tough call. He was a timid little guy, small in stature, small in courage. I mean, he was just a timid guy. He was the kind of guy that you could almost walk up to and go, boo, and he would just fall over backwards and pass out. He was just a real timid kind of guy. And these false teachers, they were like Arlie Despain's. I mean, they were heads were shaking when the Bible didn't tell us that, but these were bad dudes. Arminius, that just sounds like a mean name. And Alexander the coppersmith, now you know that guy would have been tough because he, I mean, he's banging on stuff. You don't know his name's Alexander the coppersmith until chapter four, but he's Alexander the coppersmith. I mean, so he'd been a tough guy. Now that wasn't a fun assignment. Now I've always been grateful that God did not call me to be a foreign missionary. And I'm grateful. I was uh, at the dentist this week, had my teeth cleaned, and the lady cleaning my teeth asked me, she said, so what do you do? And she's cleaned my teeth, you know, every six months for a few years now, and so we're getting to know one another. She knows our family. She asked about my wife and the kids and all that stuff. But she'd forgotten I'm a minister. And she said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. I said, I I've been in the ministry for almost 35 years. She said, well, I'm not even that old. I said, well, I've been in ministry longer than you've been alive. I'm grateful that God never called me to be a missionary. I'm glad when she asked me, I did not say I'm a missionary to Cambodia or Africa. When God called me into the ministry, I had a distinct feel that it was a call into the pastorate, a vocational call. But I always had in the back of the mind that I was going to have to eat bugs. You know, <laughs> or go to Japan and eat the kind of stuff they eat over there. And I was getting anxious about it. And so I went to the minute, when I went to seminary, the, Dr. Fruitland was the guy who did that. They used to do a personnel test, personality test. I don't know if they do that anymore. But you had to take a personality test. You had to take a written test. And then you had to go through like a four-hour interview. Because they, first they wanted to know if, mama, if your mama called or God called. If you were mama called, you were not allowed to start seminary. I don't think they do that anymore. But you had to go through this extensive personality assessment that, that lasted over the course of several days. And so I was getting nervous. And they kept going... And how do you feel about mission work and the cooperative program? I was like, oh, God, 
I do not want to go eat bugs. But I would have gone. If God said go, I would have gone. I would imagine when Paul said, Timothy, I'm sending you to Ephesus, you know what he did? He probably went ahead and passed out. Because that would have been a tough assignment. Ephesus was eat up with false teachers. I mean, it was, and had some tough people there. He was probably tempted to look for a more peaceful situation. When Stephanie and I answered the call of ministry, and after we graduated, you go to the placement office and they ask, where would you like to send your resume? And we said, anywhere. Because we were willing to go anywhere. I was grateful that God sent us just 45 minutes away for our first church. And we had a wonderful ministry there. I'm grateful that the lady that cleaned my t-shirt said, so where all have you served? I said, I've never left Kentucky. Most can't say that. I'm grateful that even though some places were four hours away from home, I was still in Kentucky. Paul urges Timothy to remain on the field and to confront the problems. He reminds Timothy of the gospel he's supposed to preach. And he helped Timothy remember the life-changing power that the gospel had in his life. And, and in our text, he returns to his task of urging Timothy really to hang in there. Don't give up. Don't throw in a towel because God had called him to that place of ministry. Now, my assumption is that everyone in this room has had a similar call to Timothy. I want you to understand that, that you're not in this room. You're not a part of this family. No one who's a member of South Jefferson Baptist Church is an accident. There are no accidental births when it comes to the family of faith. There are no accidental memberships when it comes to the family of faith. And my assumption is that, that if you're attending here, if you're a member here, if you're worshiping here, then at some point in your life, you heard God's call say, go there. When the pulpit committee called me, it was in, uh, I was coaching soccer, high school soccer at Bullies High School. And they actually called me in the middle of a ball game and asked me if I could call for an interview. And I had to tell the person calling, I think it was Kurt, Curtis maybe, he called me and said, can we talk to you right now? And I said, well, no, not right now. <laughs> I got my hands full. I was in the middle of a soccer game, high school soccer game. And you know, that's, that's, that's the most important thing in the world. But high school soccer game. And so I had to call him back. And this was like May or June. So I called him back. And we talked things over for just a, a few minutes. It wasn't an accident that I was here. When I went home and saw Stephanie after the game, I hadn't had a second call yet, but I felt the sense leaving the soccer field, going home. I said, honey, we're fixing to leave Humana. She said, really? I said, yeah, it'd be this summer sometime. We're, and it took all the way to October. Because I, leaving that, I knew, I sensed it. I knew in my heart, I didn't even know anything about you. And I didn't have to, because I, I knew God was calling me. And that's why we're here. I didn't come by accident. And I'm going to tell you, neither did you. And I'm grateful for that. Because Scripture tells us that God equips his church and his, with people that are gifted in particular ways to do particular things. And whatever it is that you bring to the table, I'm grateful for that. Because if you didn't bring it to the table, we wouldn't have it. Because none of us has everything. 
None of us, I tell our staff all the time, none of us is as smart as all of us. I mean, me by myself, I'm kind of dumb and I make a lot of mistakes. I'm grateful that I got a group of six around me that helped me have bigger thoughts and to correct my thinking. I'm grateful for church council, that larger group, and our deacons that, that guides me in my thinking and my understanding so I can see bigger than myself and beyond myself. And that's not an accident. That's by God's design. So I'm assuming that, that you're called to be here, or at least if you're, having, you're considering the call to be here. Now, if you're called, then you're not here by accident or by convenience. You're a God-called layperson to South Jefferson Baptist Church. That's your job. You've been called to here. This passage here in Timothy shows us, and I hate to say the word, but shows us, because i got a big bag of M&Ms, but this passage shows us seven principles. I didn't want to say that too loud. It sounds like a long message. But seven principles for lay service and ministry that apply to every member. That's you. That's me. Somebody just hit the button on their car. Your car alarm is going off. The devil doesn't want us to hear this message. He's fighting. We're going to fight back. Every Christian is in ministry. Now, these aren't only principles that we need to know, but we also, we need them to survive Christian service and Christian ministry. Because someday, we want to hear God say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He never says, well done, thou good and faithful pew-sitter. That's nuts. He never says, well done, thou good and faithful just church member. He never says, well done, thou good and faithful coming to the performance person. He only ever says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Another word for layperson. Another word for discovering life through ministry. Now, discover real life and serve the Lord faithfully. We've got to understand some things about serving in lay ministry. So these that I'm going to give you today aren't exhaustive. They're just trying to hold it within the passage here from 1 Timothy because there are other principles. But just holding to this passage, just to give you a few from here, lay ministry is a holy expectation that, that's, that God expects us to obey. You know, Jessica might have told me you're not the boss of me. And that lasted for a few seconds until we got to the other room. And we can't say to God, you're not the boss of me. Paul started verse 18 with this command. Now, that word command in the original languages has its root in, in military thinking. And, and it's derived from, from a higher ranking officer giving a lower ranking officer an order that they expect to be carried out. But it goes farther than that. This word command, it's a four-tier kind of command. It would be like a general telling a captain, telling a sergeant, telling a private, this is what you're going to do. All the way down the line. And Paul received his orders from the Lord. And Paul said, I got commanded, and now I'm giving you the command that I got, and now you are commanded. Now, here's where, as modern-day believers, we have to understand that we, too, now are commanded. It goes right down the line. He's passing his orders to Timothy, who passed them on to the church, and now they're passed on to us. And Paul's expression carries with it really this sense of urgent obligation. I'm commanding you to do it now, not to do it later, not to wait for a little while, but to do it now. Donald Guthrie in his book writes that Timothy is solemnly reminded that the ministry is not a matter of to be trifled with, but an order from the commander in chief. 
Paul is saying, I'm God's ambassador here, and I'm telling you what he said. And he said that you're commanded. And Paul entrusted the Lord's command to Timothy. Now that's a lesson for us. Lay service is not an optional choice for the more dedicated. It's just not. If we understand lay ministry from a Christian perspective and from a biblical perspective, lay ministry, Christian ministry, this not optional. It's not a maybe I will, maybe I won't. Scripture makes it clear that it's a command that, that, that we're committed to it. See, see, Paul, God doesn't call for volunteers. He just says you are, that I am, that Timothy was. We're all volunteers. And in lay service, it, it's that sacred trust from God to each individual, which each individual, individual person has to obey because that person's going to give an account. Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians that, that we're going to give an account for the things we've done in the body, whether good or bad. And I read my devotional guide this morning. If you read Our Daily Bread this morning, you read that God keeps a list. I don't like those kind of lists. Thank God we're forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So the lists don't count against us. But there's a list out there. One of the lists is what we do that's for the good. That's how we get our crowns when we get to glory. But if God has called you to South Jefferson... Make no mistake about it, he's called you to serve. That's not every single day, not every single week or every, but there is some capacity to which God has called you. He's equipped you for that capacity. And if he's called you to serve, he's really given you a, a sacred deposit that is entrusted to you by our commander in chief, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're under orders and we're here to please him. We're not here for strokes from other people. We're not here for self-gratification or even personal happiness. We're here to bring glory to him. And that word glory means just to make him famous. We're here to make God famous in this community in, in whatever way that we're gifted. Second, lay ministry. It, it's, building, it's people building into the lives of people who build into the lives of people. It's just building people. Lay ministry is just people building. It's Believers reaching seekers so that they might become believers too. And Paul entrusted certain things to Timothy. And then Timothy was to entrust those things to others. And others were to trust them to others and eventually till it got to us. 2,000 years later here in Valley Station. It's a process of multiplication. Where a more mature Christian imparts the life of Christ and to one who's younger in their faith. And that person will grow to maturity and repeat the process. So in verse 18, Paul identifies the process of this passing on when he called Timothy, my son. He didn't say fellow laborer. He didn't say pastor at First Baptist Ephesus. He said, my son. And so we get the understanding that, that he's passing all of this on to his son because someday Paul's going to pass away and he's going to give it to Timothy and someday Timothy's going to pass away and, or pass on and he's going to need to pass it on to someone else. What often happens though is that service loses its personalization. Having a ministry comes to mean oh, I'm a deacon or I'm a trustee or I'm a Sunday school teacher instead of I have a ministry. Now, these places of service, they're important. We need deacons. We need 
budget people, we need finance people, personnel people. They're all important. But if we ever lose sight that that's just a committee and not a ministry, we're missing it. Though all these committees, and, and you're going to have your photographs taken today, all these committees and teams that we have, they exist to advance the gospel. They exist to advance the kingdom of God. They're not to, I mean, yes, we receive some benefit from it, but all these committees and ministries exist for God's glory. It, none of it is for us. If we ever get in our mind that, that this is for me, man, we have missed the boat. We have missed the mark and we're in trouble. None of this is for us personally. All of this is 100% for him, for his kingdom, for his glory. Yes, we get benefit from it. So our scripture tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we do benefit. And we are intended to benefit from it. Scripture says that we might spur and encourage one another on to, to greater ministry. So these things are important. But it's possible to miss the heart of lay ministry, which is building into people's lives. Third, lay ministry is done in alignment with our spiritual gifts. Several years ago, we started a, a new a members, new believers class, and, and Logan teaches that class periodically. And part of the class is he introduces a, a potential new member to, to what our church believes, how we function, our polity, you know, our governance. But another aspect of that is a spiritual gifts inventory, where it's, a, it's a, like a 55-question survey that we did not develop. It is developed by people much smarter than us, professional, you know, Christian people who do that kind of research. And so we take that assessment, and there are 34 spiritual gifts initially, and, and it, it helps you find out what your spiritual gift is. And, and, and Paul, in accordance with the prophecies, he said uh, to Timothy that, that he's instructing him in accordance with the prophecies uh, previously made about him. Well, for us, this spiritual gifts inventory helps drive that. It helps identify a vein that you might get excited about, whether it's teaching or working or preaching or missionary. You know, it just gives you a, a vein to kind of begin traveling down. And Paul was talking about his spiritual gifts when he told that to Timothy. And it, 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 if, if this is the sense, it means that, that Timothy was serving God through God-given spiritual gifts. That he was serving God by aligning himself through his spiritual gifts to do what God had called him to do through lay ministry. Now we're told that Timothy was timid. Apparently God saw something that no one else did. Remember God looks at the heart, but man looks at outward, outward appearance. Scripture says that Timothy was timid, but obviously he wasn't. Because God would not have given him that assignment in the tough town of Ephesus if he was a pushover. Timothy was no pushover. He had a very successful ministry at Ephesus. That means he was tougher than nails. He was just tender-hearted. He was kind. But he was tougher than nails. Those Ephesians didn't know what hit him until he came along. I mean, my goodness. He came into that church and turned the whole thing around. Got it set right. Now, while not everyone's ministry will be pastoring, that the principle holds true. All ministry, all ministry, including lay ministry, 
is performed or should be performed within, by, by an individual through the God-given gifts that you have. I know my, I'm, a big per, I'm a big picture person. I'm not in the weeds person. Yeah, my, if you've I've taken multiple personality tests, and I'm a big picture person. If you try to put me in the weeds, I'm going to die. I, 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 I don't see that little stuff. I am looking way down the road, and I don't see this stuff down here. But thankfully, I got staff members who do. Logan is in the weeds. I mean, I can't see him sometimes because he's so far down in the weeds. But I need people like that because I don't see the weeds. And he pulls me down. You got to see this. I'm like, I can't. I'm looking back there. He says, no, you got to see this. And Logan will pull me down and make me look at it. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that pushing of me. And so while we're all not called to the same thing, all of our gifts complement one another. When you minister in the area of your gifts, it's going to be a joy to serve. I like preaching. I won't say I'm good, but I like it. I like preparing for preaching. Sometimes I stand up and I preach at my computer screen. One of these days he's going to probably preach back at me. But I holler at it and point at it. I want to, I want to be a Baptist is what it is, but I can't get it out. And so when I, when I went to my study, I could holler with the best of them. You think I was a general Baptist preacher hollering, but that's not who I am. I'm just a teacher. I'm a preacher teacher. I'm grateful that we have people who compliment us in other ways, that teach in other ways. I don't know if y'all were at the, the Widow's Ladies Lunch or not, but Mike's a comedian. He put on a 37-minute show that would be on HBO. It was hilarious. Were y'all there? I, I could never do that. But God gave us somebody who can. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Lois can line up dishes like nobody else. I mean, man, she can get them going. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the ministry that I see flowing out of us to one another. And it becomes a joy when we serve because we're doing what God has equipped us to do. Fourth lay ministry is a long-term campaign. It's not a short-term vacation. My grandfather pastored for 61 years and served about 61 churches. Well, not that bad, but he served a lot of churches. It damaged my extended family in a lot of ways because every couple, three years, they were moving somewhere else. And I started studying scripture, and Stephanie and I have never really sent out resumes, maybe when we first graduated. But on occasion, we would. But most of the time, we've been contacted by somebody else. We have, I have never called a church and said, hey, I'm your person. I'm your man. We've always just waited for God to work and to move and, and to open uh, that door. But my commitment was, you know, you never see pastors moving around in the Bible. If you read scripture, they're not jumping from one church to another church. To another. Now, there are church planters like Paul, who moved to plant a church, moved to plant a church, moved to plant a church, moved to plant a church. You had missionaries like uh, Barnabas and Mark who moved to church to move to field to be, because they were missionaries. But if you look in scripture, 
you won't find a pastor that ever moved when God said go there. So my understanding in ministry was y'all didn't know it, but back in 2010, unless God changes his mind, y'all made a lifetime call. I'm sorry. But, but we went, every church we ever served, we've gone that way that we're never going to leave. Unless God says you leave. It's the same way for church membership. You're in the family. There's no reason to ever leave the family. If there's a problem, work it out. If you can't work it out, go out in the parking lot and work it out. But you work it out and you stay family. You don't jump ship. That's not, that's not what scripture's about. If any, Paul says anything to churches, he says stay unified, stay together. The world's watching. They'll see Christ through your love for one another. They'll see Christ through you. And, and so he calls us to understand that, that it's, a, it's a fight. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight. Spirit, church work is war. It's spiritual war. And the word fight signifies that, that it's a campaign and not a single battle. To change the metaphor, we could use the word marathon. It's not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. We're in it for the long haul. Now, the enemy is trying to trip us up. He wants to get us to drop out and to quit. That's what he wants. To serve the Lord faithfully, we've got to realize that we're in this for the long haul. And it's not going to be easy. He tells Timothy, fight the good fight. He even uses the word battle. Now, I've not really been in a battle. I don't want to be in a battle. But apparently Timothy was getting ready to have some battles. I mean, that's, that, that's a hard perspective to think about. I mean, some people get all excited about ministry and service and they burn out. Do you know... The average stay for a pastor at a church is 3.2 years in Southern Baptist life. The average pastor goes to a church and stays 3.2 years. It's not because they're stepping stone. Most people think pastors want to go to the next bigger church, next bigger church. It's because they can't stand the heat in the kitchen and they want a different kitchen. It's 3.2 years for most pastors. Lifeway released a, a survey a couple years ago that said in the last 10 years, 38% of pastors have walked away from their churches. That's a pretty high statistic. If they haven't walked away, they're considering walking away. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Others get excited until the problems hit and then they quit. Some people bail out when they get some criticism, which that's always on Monday. Sometimes it starts on Sunday, but it's usually Monday. Others expect instant results, and when it doesn't happen, they get discouraged and quit. That's like this gospel to every home. It's work, folks, to go out, hang those on doors. But we're not doing it for us. We're doing it for him. And we might do this for 30 years and not see one person. It doesn't matter. If God's called us to do it, we do it. We're doing it for him. We don't know what God's doing with those gospels that we're placing on, on, on the door. And so sometimes we want instant results. When instant results don't happen, we're such a microwave generation, we want to quit and try something different. 
But all these problems could be solved if people would realize that the service to which God has called us and gifted us, it's a lifetime campaign against a powerful enemy. On a side note, Timothy's fight was against men in the church. That's usually where battles are anyway. Fifth, lay ministry is dependent upon authenticity. We'll go a little quicker here. Paul tells Timothy to keep the faith in good conscience. Faith, of course, refers to doctrine and belief. But he's told to trust in the truth of the gospel and walk uprightly in that truth, never to violate his conscience. They talked about how people have become shipwrecked for violating their their conscience. Sixth, and sadly, lay ministry has casualties. We read in Timothy that there were at least two in Ephesus, Harmonius and Alexander, two in the congregation who had shipwrecked their faith. In other words, some go down in the battle. And these are church members. 250 pastors quit pastoring every year. That just sounds, that's why we got to keep putting people in the seminary. 200, now that's not all, that's just Baptists. 250 Baptist pastors quit every year. And that's from a 10-year study. Over the last 10 years, 250 pastors on average have quit every year. That's hard. We all have the tendency to, to put our eyes on, on certain leaders, not always the pastor, sometimes the deacon chair, trustee chair, musician, worship leader, youth pastor. But we have a tendency to put our eyes on certain leaders. And we do that instead of on Christ. And that's dangerous. Because Satan, he can entice leaders to fall. He can't make us fall. He can't make leaders succumb to sin or temptation. But he can sure entice. I mean, he can be like Baskin Robbins and line up all 35 flavors there for you every time you walk past until you pick one up. Satan can't cause Christ to fall. But he can work on church leaders who've got a lot of people looking at them. And it's not just the pastor. I'm not the only leader in this church. There's other leaders here, and I'm grateful for them. But if such a person falls, they never fall alone. Christian leaders never fall alone. I'm not saying pastors. I'm saying leaders among pastors who would be among them. But a a Christian leader never falls alone. If you're the leader in your home and you fall, you're not going to fall alone. If you're the Christian witness at your workplace and you fall, you're not going to fall alone. You're going to take up. See, it's a real thought to think about. Because Satan wants you to fall. He's going to put as many tripping hazards in front of you as he possibly can. Another reason it's important to remember that that there are casualties in serving the church is to remind ourselves that there's a warning here, that there's an enemy out there. There is an enemy who hates this church. He hates you because you've got Christ in your heart, and he hates this particular church. He hates every New Testament church that's doing their dead level best to stay afloat and to reach people for Christ. He hates every church that's growing and moving. He hates churches. If you ever think that Satan doesn't hate this place, you work nuts. 
because we're intentional about a lot of our ministry. He hates it. And he wants to mess it up every way that he can. Little squabbles, little fights, little disagreements. Anything that we can. And we get lulled to sleep. And we forget that it's war. I mean, Satan wants us to, to, to think that, that Christian life and ministry are like a Sunday school picnic. But it's not. It's war. He says, fight the fight. It's a battle. And Satan shoots real bullets. And they hurt. Finally, we'll close with this one. Lay ministry in the church. It can involve doing some unpleasant things. Paul talks about two. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Seems that these two men were church lay leaders who were important to the church and they were involved in some sort of sin or doctrinal issue. And it says that Paul handed them over to Satan. He's handing believers over to Satan. Whatever these two guys did, he's like, hands off. I'm going to let the devil have you for a while. Because they wanted to be taught not to blaspheme anymore is what Paul says. Paul took his hands off and said, I'm going to let Satan have a few rounds with you. Now, Satan, we know that he does that because he asked God personally if he could sift Peter like wheat. We know that Satan wants to sift us. He wants to work the wad right out of us. Now, Paul viewed this world as Satan's domain, and to be in the church is to be under the authority of Jesus Christ and a pastor who presumably loves the flock and is a is concerned about protecting the flock from the devil and attacks from the world. And what Paul probably means for Timothy is that, Timothy, you don't have to be a pastor to these two guys anymore. I'm going to deliver these over to Satan's domain, to the world. That's discipline. And his goal wasn't to harm them or to hurt them. It was to restore them because he said, I wanted them learn to learn not to blaspheme. He was wanting to restore them. He's wanting these two men to come back into the fellowship, back into the, the active membership and serving. It wasn't just wanting to kick them out of church for the sake of kicking them out of church. He was removing them from the congregation so he might bring them back. He wanted to restore them. Sometimes life ministry is not easy. But if we want to discover real life, we're going to understand that and be okay with it and serve. Every person who knows Christ as Savior and Lord is called to serve. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, that's a command, not from me, but from God's Word. And it came from the Commander-in-Chief Himself, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so knowing that and following just these few principles, it'll help us be faithful servants to Jesus Christ right here and there's nothing i want more than to see us grow not for the sake of growth but for the sake of the kingdom one of these days we're going to breathe our last breath all of us every one of us when helen called me and asked me if i could come visit well she didn't ask me if i could come visit i asked her if i could come visit her son i said is he a believer she said i think so when I got to Robert Hawkins' room, he was awake. And I said, Robert, you know I'm a preacher. He said, he turned his head away from me. He said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I said, you know what I'm worried about, don't you? He said, yeah, I know. 
I said, Robert, I want you to look at me. I need to ask you a question. And he turned his head back around to me. I said, Robert, you know the Lord. I said, you're not far from breathing your last breath. What's going to happen when you do? Big old tears came rolling down his cheek. I mean, big old tears. He said, I was 13. I said, you were 13. What happened when you were 13? He said, I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord in his own words. He said, but I haven't lived that way for 40-something years. I said, you know what? <laughs> I said, you're still his if you meant it. He said, oh, I meant it. I said, well, then when you breathe your last, you're going to leave this earth and see our Savior's face. Man, he really began to cry. Helen began to cry. Because there's nothing sweeter to a mother's ear than to know that her baby's going to go to heaven. Because he's her baby. That's lay ministry, folks. That's who we are. I want us to understand that, that it's not just coming together on Sundays. This is good. I love it. I sing songs on the way to church. I sing songs while I'm at church. I love coming together. But it's not just about this. Yes, this is important. We want to praise and worship our God. But it's when we go out those doors. Church becomes a verb. It's what we do out there. We're going to sing a hymn invitation, and as Jacqueline comes, I'm asking you to commit to ministry. I know many of you are serving, and I'm grateful for that. But I'm asking you to just to commit to it. First, you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ if you don't know him. Let him save you. Let him forgive you. Let him wash all that junk away. And then work for him. Let's stand together as we sing. <laughs> Jim Hatfield gave me my birth scotch this morning. He said, now it's not a bribe, it's an incentive. And I thought, okay. He says that every week. And then <laughs> Paulette handed me a big bag and she said, this is a bribe. <laughs> <laughs> and she handed it to me and I didn't open it. I walked away and she said, you didn't. when she handed it to me, I said, oh my. Because I knew I had a longer than normal sermon. <laughs> so I'm going to give her a few of those M&Ms back. <laughs> but I'll suck the chocolate off first. Anyway.
God bless you. Good to be together. Sharon, will you close us in prayer?